Uh, you ever wonder um, how you know you're dirty? Uh, maybe you've been like me and you've been outside mowing all day and uh, you can just feel the dirt and the grime because I don't know about you, I oftentimes mow more dirt than I do grass. Um, and uh, if you can relate, you know that you, you can feel the dirt on you, but it's not until you're, you're standing uh, in, in your bathroom and you're looking uh, into something, this, this object that you're able to see yourself. Um, I brought one of them along today. This is just a mirror, right? So what does a mirror do? A mirror reveals things, is that correct? And so you could maybe try to catch yourself in the mirror, check your hair, make sure it looks good this morning. Uh, a mirror allows you to see a reflection of yourself. Now the question is, is this, uh, if I were to go in after a long day of mowing and I was to look into the mirror and I was to see that I was dirty and then I went into my drawer and I grabbed a mirror this size out of my drawer and then thought, you know what? I'll clean myself with this mirror and just started kind of rubbing this mirror all over myself. Would you think I was a fool? You would, wouldn't you? Would you agree? You go, man, that's, that's, that's foolish. Can I tell you, that's what Paul is trying to help the church of Rome see. The law of God is a mirror, never intended to clean a person, simply meant to reveal our wickedness. That's what the law is. The law is a resource. It's a tool to help people see that they see a reflection of themselves. And when they see a reflection of themselves, particularly up against the standard of God, his reflection, his mirror, his goodness. Because you know what the law is? The law is the character of God in pen and ink. So when you have the law of God, you have his nature, you have his holiness, and then you see yourself as a reflection of what that standard is, you go, I just don't measure up. Now, it would be foolish to try to clean yourself with the law. The very thing that was intended to reveal your sin nature is not the thing that's intended to clean you up. The reason why is because Paul says this thing that is perfect, that's holy, this law, it's good if you use it properly is what he tells his buddy Timothy. The reason why you don't use yourself, use this thing to clean it up is the same way that I wouldn't use this mirror to clean the dirt off of me. It would be foolish, right? So, so what would I do if I was a wise man, a prudent man? I would go into the house after seeing myself in reflection and I would be like, pull out a bar of soap. Yeah? Hop in, ask, uh, ask the Lord to clean me, right? And I would get after it, okay? And I have soap, all right? Would you go, that's a wise man, yes? Can I just tell you that's God's plan? He gives us the law as a mirror reflection of himself. And then what does he do? He gives us soap to wash away our uncleanliness. His name is Jesus. See, the law simply pre presents to you and I a need, a need that we do not measure up, that we are incomplete, that we uh, are a mess, but we have one and who measures up, who has met every ounce of the law. He crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. He measured up fully and his name is Jesus. He is the one who cleanses a person from their sin problem. So y'all understand that? Good, amen. Let's pray, let's go home. Let's get ready for some turkey and dressing and Thanksgiving, okay? If you got that concept, 
uh, then we can move on, okay? As we move on, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Uh, if you've been following along with us, it's where we've been. I want to welcome those that are joining us in Edgewood and online. Um, as you're turning to Romans chapter 7, I uh, just want to give you a quick tidbit. Uh, this is going to be our last week in Romans uh, until after the first of the year. Next week, we're going to pick up and we're going to have a Christmas series. We're going to uh, enjoy Advent together and expecting hope of our Savior. It'll take us all the way up to Christmas and to Christmas Eve Eve, which uh, is our Stonewall family Christmas on December 23rd on both campuses. Times are 5.30 and 7 p.m. Uh, we, we can't wait to do that together. And then we'll pick up Romans chapter 8 at the beginning of the next year, okay? Uh, but in Romans chapter 7, uh, here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the mirror and he's talking about soap. Namely, he's also going to show us our uncleanliness. And so as he talks about the law, he really shows us three things in Romans chapter 7. Cody showed us a handful of those a handful of weeks ago, Archie last week. Here's, here's what you see. In, in, in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, you simply see the law's authority. You see its authority over our lives. Um, in 7 through 12, the same chapter, you see its activity, what it shows us, what it reveals about us. And then today, we're going to dive in in verse 13 and following, and you're going to see the law's inability. Its inability to, to do something. Uh, and so we're going to hop in in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. In verse 13, it says this. Did that which is good, the law, or the mirror, <clears throat> did that which is good then bring death to me? Paul says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So what he's saying is, he goes, okay, if the law is God's standard and it's good and it's right and it's his character in pen and ink, then he goes, is it the law that actually brings death to me? Is it the law that curses me in the sense? And what Paul is saying is, he goes, by no means. It, the problem is not that there's a law. The problem is not that there's a mirror that you look into. The problem is that when you look into the mirror, you don't like what you see. And the reason you don't like what you see is because what you and I have in the mirror as a reflection of the law is corrupt, right? It's our sinful flesh. That's what Paul is saying. And namely, our flesh, what's corrupted in our flesh is because of sin. So what was it, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that corrupted Adam and Eve's relationship to God? What was it that caused them to experience this curse, curses like childbearing pains and uh, death and enmity and strife for one another? What is it that made labor upon the earth laborious, thorns and thistles? It's sin, right? And it was sin that produced in us this death. He says, through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond me measure. He goes, when you look at the law, he goes, you simply see that you are sinful. Um, he says, and that sinful, that, that nature that we're talking about, that flesh at the end of verse 13 says that, that you, when you see it in the mirror, when you see it as a reflection to the law, he goes, you see that you're sinful beyond measure. And he uses a word here in the Greek, uh, hyperbole, which simply means um, that you would, it would be an exaggeration. It would be a throwing beyond. It's where we get the word hyperbole. If you think about hyperbole, it's an exaggeration. So you'd use hyperbole to exaggerate something. Paul is saying, when you look at your life in the mirror, you see that your sin is 
a throwing away. It is beyond measure. So your problem, your sin nature, your flesh, which is corrupt from the beginning, when compared to the law, you see that it's no good. That you and I are dead in our sins and trespasses. Everybody following along? He goes on in verse 14. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold under sin. So Paul makes a couple of of quick things here. Very important notes. He says, I know the law is spiritual, meaning the law is from God. And in essence, because it's from God and it's his character in pen and ink, he goes, the law is not the problem. The law is a reflection of who God is and all of his nature. So he goes, what's the problem? He goes, the problem is that I am of flesh. And he uses the Greek word sarkikos there, which literally means flesh, that you and I are skin and bone and we're sold under sin. So you think, throwback all the way, and we covered this in Romans chapter five, how is it that death spread to all men? Adam. Because Adam's sin, death spread everywhere, okay? Sin reigns in our mortal bodies, Romans 5, 12. That's the point here. Which, if you remember, and you might not, there was a conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. Some of you have probably watched the Chosen series, and if you watch the Chosen series, that's one of the most famous scenes through um, all their episodes. And Jesus um, has this conversation with uh, Nicodemus that you see in John chapter 3. And Jesus is talking about uh, being born again with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus asked the question in John chapter 3. He says, well, how does that happen? And he asked the question, do I go back into my mother's womb? Like, am I born again? Like, you mean physically of flesh, I'm born again? And what does Jesus say? He goes, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things? Like, you're one, you're one of the leaders here and you, you can't comprehend. Well, Jesus goes on to say in John chapter three, and I don't put it for you up on the screen, but he just says this. He says, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. What Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand is that when you see your sin nature, that you and I are sold under sin, slavery because of Adam and Eve, that death is spread to all men because all men have sinned, He goes, then you have a a conundrum. You have a dilemma that has to be worked through. And he goes, and the dilemma that has to be worked through is that a person has to be regenerated. The inner man has to be changed. Now, here's the deal. What Jesus is saying, he goes, if you're born of flesh, you're condemned, right? Which means that the moment that we're conceived in our mother's womb, we are sinners. That's what Romans 3.10 just says, there is not one righteous, not even one. All of sin falls short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. We see that. Jeremiah 17.9, our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately sick. Who can understand it? We know that our flesh is corrupt, yes? Now, the question is, what does that mean, your flesh? It means, it means your your sin nature, uh, it means your, your mortal body cannot escape this sinful thing. But Jesus says, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is saying, in order for a person to come to know Christ and the kingdom of God, the inner man has to be regenerated. Your soul, the spirit, has to be made new. 
Now, I don't know that many people have ever had this conversation with you. Maybe you've never thought about it. But the question is, is when the inner man is saved, does that mean that every ounce of the mortal man is, is complete? The answer is no. What's wrong with your flesh? The mortal aspect of who you are. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. He goes, there's a conundrum. There's a dilemma. The inner man has been saved. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, the inner man is being reworked. It's new. But the outer man, the flesh, we have a problem, don't we? What is the problem? That's what Paul goes on to address. And I'll help you see it here in a few moments. Paul says, verse 15, for I don't understand my own actions. He goes to the present tense here. Paul talking about himself. For I do, um, I do not, uh, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse sixteen. He goes on. He says, "Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good." So he goes. The issue is that I see the law, and he goes, and I know that there's this war being waged. That is in my flesh. So he goes, I know the law. I see the mirror. I get the reflection. I get that God's standard is perfect and right. But he goes, my dilemma is that I can't live up to the standard. He goes, even if I want to, like I want to do what's right. I desire to do what's good. So the question is, is where's the desire come from? The desire to do what's right for God comes from the inner man. It comes from the life that has been regenerated and changed, the new creation. But the problem is is that even as we are new creations, we still have this mortal flesh that we're carrying around, this body of death. This body of death is competing against what? The spirit of God and its work in the inner man. Now you might ask the question, okay, why is Paul saying this? Paul is saying that as long as you and I live, we're going to have a a dilemma. The dilemma is our inner man being saved and sanctified into the image of God is always going to have a wrestle with the outer man. There's always going to be a wrestle. Paul would describe it as a, in Ephesians 5 as a wrestle between what is flesh and blood, flesh and spirit. He helps us understand that there's a war, this this dilemma, okay? So we see the law, the law is good. It shows us that, hey, we don't measure up. Matter of fact, I, I know what I ought to do and I struggle to do it. But he goes, the law is not the problem. Look at verse 16. He says, I agree with the law, that the law is good. So he goes, the law being the law, God's word, its standard, his decrees, his righteousness, his mirror, his reflection. He goes, that's not the problem. I agree with the law. So he says, what's the problem? The problem is, is me. Me. The problem is, is that I know what's happening. He goes on in verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So is he giving an excuse here? This is Paul, the apostle, the one who went on missionary journeys, the one who was converted on the road to Damascus. He is giving a present tense struggle with his flesh, and he is revealing it in a way that all of us can identify. Paul is saying, I know what I ought to do, and I struggle to do it. I do the very thing I hate to do. And he goes, and why is it? He goes, I know the reason 
that I do it is because sin that dwells in me. Now, he's not giving us an excuse here, and he's not even giving you a license to sin because Paul's already, he's already um, revealed that to us in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and also later in the chapter. So we don't continue to sin that grace would increase. Why? We're under grace. Makes sense? So he goes, we don't continue to sin so that we could just say, well, you know what? I'm just still a sinner. I still just have this problem and I just can't get over it. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, is that there is a real metaphysical dilemma. Meaning that in the spiritual realm, there is something that is always true. That there is a war being waged in our flesh. That I know what I ought to do, but I struggle to do it. Why? Because sin is still pervasive. It is still dwelling in me. He goes on in verse 18, famous passage, famous verse. And Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in what? My flesh. Everybody say my flesh. So Paul is not saying here, hey, nothing good dwells in me. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying, hey, God's spirit is not good in me. That's not what he's saying. What does he say here? I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my what? Flesh. My mortal, corrupt, sinful body. There is nothing good in me. Now, he's not saying the inner man's not being regenerated. He's not saying that there's not a new life in Christ. He's not saying that you aren't new. What he is saying is that you better be careful to boast in your chest and say, I am free of all my deformities. He's saying what I, you better be careful is that you don't say, um, I'm recovered fully. Because what he's saying is you've got a dilemma here. You'll never be recovered fully. Why? Because you still have a body of death that you're strapped to. He goes, you still have this body, this flesh that is corrupt. That's why he says this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, the inner man, but not the ability to carry it out. Why? Because he goes, there's this wrestle. I know that God has saved me, redeemed me, sanctified me, regenerated me. It made me a new creation. But listen, friends, he hasn't made all of me a new creation. He has made the new man a new creation. So he goes, I know that there is nothing good that lives in me. That is in my flesh. Make sense? The flesh is the key here. That's what Paul wants you to see. The flesh is the key. He goes on in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, again, it could almost look like Paul is making like this little excuse. It could almost appear that Paul is saying, well, I know the things I ought to do and I don't do. And the very things I ought not to do, I find myself doing. And then he just says, but it's sin that dwells in me. It's almost like you, you could read this if, if, if you were not paying close attention. You could say, well, I guess I have a license to keep sinning because I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. And, and I know what I ought not to do and I find myself doing it. And hey, guess what? It's just sin in me. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is very much what, what God says to, to Cain uh, around Abel. If you remember in Genesis chapter four, I believe it was verse seven. He says, Cain, he says, sin is crouching out your door and you need to learn to master it. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, um, what does he say? He says um, that he has to strictly discipline his body. Um, he says uh, in, in the King James, I think it would say buffet, beat his body, uh, that he would discipline himself strongly. Why? That he would make his body a slave so that when he preaches, he's not disqualified. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, I know my inner body has been redeemed. I know the inner man is new. But he goes, I have to buff it. I have to beat my body. I have to discipline myself. No longer saying, you know what? It just is who I am. Hey, this corrupt flesh, I, it's mortal. And I just keep doing the same thing over again. That's just, he's not saying it's an excuse. He's saying it's a reality. He goes, in the metaphysical, in the spiritual realm, he goes, it is a reality that you cannot escape on this side of heaven a mortal body that is corrupt, that is always going to wage war with its members, that is always going to be opposite of that which is new, which is the spirit of God in the inner man. He goes, you're always going to have a war between the flesh, which is mortal, and corrupt, and sinful, and deceitful, and that which is renewed, regenerated as a work of God's grace in the inner man, the spirit. Now, I know you, you probably never thought about that a whole lot. And I was teaching just this last week in a student ministry, and I was walking through a particular text with them, and, and it, was, it was as if it hit me, even for this weekend, that most people don't even understand or think through that concept, which is the question that you would really have to think about, even in terms of the future sin uh, sense, is why does this matter? And what, what does this mean? And what does it mean for me if my body's corrupt? Well, look what verse 21 says. Paul says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He goes, it's a law. It's fixed. So when, I, when, you, when you see that word there, this is a law, this is fixed. It means that you and I don't have the power to change it. Does that make sense? Can I tell you that people over history, the course of history, have tried to change this, this law? The metaphysical law in the sense that your mortal body is corrupt and that your, your inner man should be renewed by Christ. Think about it. Monks in monasteries, what do they do? They leave the world. What do they do? They, they leave and they go, they go up into the mountains. They find them a place where they're away from everyone. They think, hey, if I can... If I can beat my body into submission to some degree, if I can be more spiritual, the problem is, is that they never can do it. Now, it doesn't matter if they try to impress people along the way. It's a law. Paul says, this is a law. This is a fact. You can't escape it. What does it mean? It means that even if you're a monk in a monastery and you move away from the world, so you don't have to be in it, you don't have to see the world, you don't have to see the TV, you don't have to listen to the news or pay attention to what's going on in our culture. You go, I'm gonna escape from all that reality. You go, that seems to be peace, right? Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. Uh, friends, I don't watch any TV. I mean, none. You could tell me what the weather's doing tomorrow and I couldn't tell you. I, I live day by day and I have no idea what's going on. I don't watch it. Now, the reason I don't watch it is not because I believe in some ways that I'm escaping from some present reality. I, I don't watch it because I, I just, it's not good for me personally. But here's the deal. You might think, you know, I don't watch it either. And it's because I don't want to be a part of any of that. And, and a monk would not watch it or they would remove themselves from the present day situation. Why? Because they would say, I'm going to be more holy. 
But here's the problem. They cannot escape their mortal body. They cannot escape their mind, can they? And they cannot escape that corrupt heart. You see the problem? The problem is, no matter how spiritual you want to be, there is something that you carry around with you that is always going to wage war against the inner man. And it doesn't matter what your plan is. It doesn't matter how many leaves you turn over. The reality is, is that you are always going to struggle on this side of heaven to become more conformed to the image of Christ and more like him in every way. And if you're not beating your body into submission, then the reality is, is that if you're not mastering sin when it crouches at your door, you're going to continue to give way to it. Why? Because our body is carrying around us, with us, death. Matter of fact, when Paul gives this idea, I think he is potentially even giving you an idea of what, what people in, in, the, um, in the past would do, a very barbaric thing they would do. Uh, is they would take a um, they would take a, a person that was um, corrupt and, and they would they would throw them in a in a cell down below the earth and you know what they would do to them oftentimes um, they would they would take a dead body and they would tie it to the back of them and and they would have to drag that dead body around all the time it would be putrid and rank and heavy. If you could imagine, is there anything that would be more sickening than to be not only a slave to someone else, but also knowing that you're carrying around a dead body on your back? Now, I don't know about you, but that would be barbaric, wouldn't it? That would be a cruel way of punishment. What Paul is helping us realize here is that is true for even the believer. It is a law. It is a law that you and I, our bodies are corrupt. The inner man is being renewed, that we have to master sin. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. That's just true for us, which I think should give you some hope. And Paul goes on. He says this in verse 22, and I'm going to begin wrapping up. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Do you see that? You see the contrast here? He goes, I delight in the law of God. The law of God is good. The law is not the problem. It's not that I see myself in the mirror and I go, oh, the mirror's bad. Here's the problem is, is that I delight in the law. I want to do what's right in the inner man. Do you see that? He goes, in my spirit, in the renewed self, I want to do what's right. I want to honor the Lord. I, I'm, I'm working to be all that God desires for me. That's what Paul says. And you see again in the present tense, Paul is helping us understand that this is his challenge. This is Paul the apostle, the one that we esteem and hold high. He goes, I want you to know the reality. And that is that I never escaped. Paul's saying, I never escaped on this side of heaven, the present reality that sin is waging war in my mortal flesh. Yes, being renewed, yes, I delight in the law of God. Verse 23, but I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me capture the law of sin that dwells in my members. Do you see what he says here? He goes, I can't escape this reality. Friends, pay very close attention to me. This text is one of the primary reasons that I struggle with, quote unquote, a second blessing. 
or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people in our culture desire a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which would mean an extra indwelling of the Spirit in our lives that would allow us to unlock things in our lives that others could not possess. The reason I struggle with that is that Paul helps us to see there is a law, there is a spiritual metaphysical dilemma that means that you and I will not escape this fleshly mortal body. Though our inner body is being renewed, it doesn't give to the point that we would eventually be so renewed that we would have a subsequent, such a indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, a blessing so deep, so rich that unlocks not only the gifts that are great, but also that would help you almost become sinless. I can't read that here. That doesn't seem to what, what Paul is teaching. Does that make sense? I think what Paul is saying, he goes, it doesn't matter how much you desire greater gifts. It doesn't matter how much you want to be spiritual. It doesn't matter how much that you want to, in some ways, have another subsequent blessing from God. It doesn't matter how rich and how deep you want your relationship to God to be. He goes, you can desire that all you want. But he goes, even though the inner man is saved and renewed, he goes, you still have a metaphysical dilemma that you cannot escape this body of death. Which he goes, so what you want to do, he goes, you want to live for the Lord. You want to do what Jesus says. What does Jesus say in John chapter 15? I want you to hear this in verse five, and I want you to see it from a new perspective today. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Hold on. Do you really believe that? Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branch. The man remains in me and I in him. What? You'll bear much. But apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. What does Jesus mean there? He goes, there is nothing good coming from you. Period. Why? Because you're chained to a body of death. You are dragging around a putrid rotting, dead, detestable, sinful body of death. And you will not escape it. It is a law. You will not escape it. Which means, isn't there always a war? And listen, isn't there always a need for us to be renewed on the inner self day by day? Why? Because... We know what we ought to do. Friends, you know what you ought to do. Think about it. Think about the things you ought to do real quickly. Not me telling you, not me lording it over you, not me under compulsion, twisting your arm. You know what you ought to do, don't you? You know what you've agreed to do. You know it. It's not, it's not like, hey, I have to be reminded. I, I have to take a, a, an assessment every couple of years. You don't need that, do you? You know what you need to do. You, you know, I know that I need to get up every day and read God's word. I know that. I know what I ought to do, but I find myself not doing it, don't I? Isn't that true? That's true for me, friends. Hey, I know that I ought to be deep in prayer and, and I ought to be dependable upon God and his spirit. I know that. I ought to be prayerful. I know what I ought to do, but I find myself not doing it. Guys, I know that I need to live in community with others. I do. 
But I find myself resisting that, don't I? I do. I resist that. I feel my selfishness. I, I feel the law here that's just weighing in. It's a dilemma. I, I, I get selfishness. I feel sin crouching at my door. You do too, don't you? And you go, when am I going to get over it? When am I finally going to get like over the hump? Like when am I finally going to reach this level? Like I, I'm finally there. Paul says, you're not. You're not. You're not there. You're not going to get there. There's not a proverbial hill that you're just looking for that eventually when I get there, I'm going, oh. Why? Because you're chained to a body of death. That's what Paul is saying here. Man, isn't this a good text? He goes, in verse 24, he goes, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then what does he ask for deliverance from? This body of death. Friends, I know you've never thought about it this way, but can I just encourage you real quickly? Do you know why as elders, as shepherds, we're encouraging to walk closely with the Lord, his people? It's not so that you do a bunch of stuff for me. It's simply so I know that you, you understand there is always going to be a dilemma. There's always going to be a war being waged. And if we are not daily renewing ourselves, our body of death Will, will be our end. It will keep us from being all that God desires for us to be. Yes, it is not enough to be saved if you're not being sanctified. But how are you sanctified? You're sanctified when you resist the body of death. That's why Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he goes on and look at verse 25 and we'll end with this. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. He goes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus sealed the victory. He overcame sin, death, and the grave. And he goes, and I serve him with my spirit. I, I serve him with everything. But he goes, this law that wages war in my flesh, he goes, it, if not careful, I continue to serve sin. He, he, can I ask you a question? What happens with the inner man when you die? The inner man. Paul says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. You know, the inner man goes to be with the Lord. Hey, what happens with the outer man? It returns to death, doesn't it? To dust you came, from, from dust you came, and from dust you will return. Yes? You see the, see the difference there? The inner man that's being renewed day by day is with the Lord. The outer man, where does it go? It goes where it deserves, death. Now let me ask you a question. What is Jesus going to do on the last day? He's going to give you a new resurrected body. Why does your body need to be resurrected? Amen. Hey, we can clap for that. He's going to give you a new resurrected body. Yes. Which is encouraging. Because your body now is what's waging war all the time. It is this wrestle that you and I feel all the time. How, friends, do we overcome the wrestle? We pretend it's not there. We ask God for a subsequent deeper second blessing, more. We just need more spiritually than what we get. No. You know what you need? You need to wage war against your flesh. 
You need to ask God for his help. You need to daily depend on his word and his spirit and his people to help continue to refine you, point things out in you so that you and I arrive at the kingdom. And he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Perfect? No. Had it all together? Nope, didn't quite arrive. Paul, Paul just in some ways puts us at ease going, man, it's, it's, I'm not gonna arrive. But at the same time, he doesn't give us an excuse that's not his point. So the point is not to walk out of here and go, you know, I'm just never going to arrive. And so, listen, if that's the way that we interpret the text, I'll just never arrive, I, I think we have to question even our salvation. Because I, I just don't think that's what he means. And so, friends, I want to usher you out uh, in this week of Thanksgiving. And what I would encourage you to do is simply be thankful. Be thankful, Lord, that you would desire to renew and change the inner man that make me a new creation. Yes, we still drag around this body of death. But isn't there a great provision even from God that the body of death will one day be renewed? Yes. It shows you the kind of God that we serve. He, he did cover every detail. But as we discover the richness of his word, we also know and can take to heart that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. I just pray that you'd be reminded of that. Let me pray for you, and then we're gonna close together on both campuses uh, with a song of rejoicing, by the way. Father in heaven, we love you and thank you for your goodness and grace. I pray that for many of us in this room, we learn something new. Um, I also pray that as we learn something new, that it would stretch our minds. I pray that, that all of us would walk out of here in some ways thankful, expectant, hopeful, with rejoicing in our heart, but also knowing that sin is crouching at our door and we have to learn to rule over it. Lord, your own son said, my, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Lord, that is true for every single one of us. We know what we ought to do, but we struggle to do it. Lord, would you help us to beat up against our body? Lord, would you help us to discipline ourselves in such a way that we do what you desire for us to do we thank you for the change in the inner man and we thank you, Lord, for the future expectant hope we have for the outer man. Until then, would you cause us to press on for the cause of Christ? Would you help us to love you, serve you, and live for you? Not because others make us, but because it's a joy to serve our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.